Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to Women's Football Digest. My name is Natasha Henry and we're going to be taking you through the news and views that's been going on this past week. We've got our wonderful reporters with us today. We've got Hannah Pinner. Hey Hannah, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. And we have Megan Faringa. Yeah, hi Megan. Hi everyone. So, as we all know, the Lionesses played again last night and it was Serena's third defeat in just 41 games. It was a 2-1 defeat to the Netherlands. I think this is exactly where we need to start. Hannah, I know you were covering it for us. What went wrong? I mean, when you say their defeat in 41 games, it just shows how lucky we've been really to to see a team as as dominate, dominant as England have been. Um, but these results do happen and England just weren't at the races yesterday. I mean, it took pretty much until they went behind for them to actually really get going and, and threaten. I think there's about 30 minutes where England didn't even have a shot on goal and, and that's not something that we really associate with a Serena Wiegmann team. They're usually a lot more forward thinking and on the front foot than that but the Netherlands played really well they they looked the most threatening they they were a lot more comfortable in possession um for large periods I think than than we were um but I mean you, even for all of that it, it was errors essentially that that cost the goals and, and gifted them to the Netherlands essentially um obviously we know the first one <laughs> was offside but I'm sure I'm sure we'll get on to that um and then obviously it was a poor pass from Alex Greenwood that, that gifted them the second and I think we're maybe starting to see um, one the problems that are arising from the sheer number of players that we have out injured and, and how big of a miss they are I mean Kira Walsh I mean we felt like the world was ending when she had that injury at the World Cup um, and obviously I think she's been a big miss this international break but Leah Williamson as well I mean it was that was the kind of game where you're just thinking oh, we, we we miss Leah Williamson here because she's usually that player that can break the lines and, and recycle possession and, and she's one of the most comfortable I think in in doing that not not that the others can't but obviously we saw how lack we were in in those sort of areas yesterday and, and I think that ultimately um, 
came back to bite us. But just just a shout out as well, I think, to the Netherlands goalkeeper, Daphne Van Domselaar as well. I, I just think back to that double save where he stopped it from Lauren Hemp and then straight away from Lucy Bronze as well. Um, that is some, some keeper that Villa have signed and, and I think she was a big reason as well why England struggled to find the back of the net. I think it's something we've been seeing more, well, during the World Cup and the Nations League. There's a lot of teams who were maybe, you know, the middle table women's football nations. And we're seeing that the game is just thriving across every country. Do you think the way England's results have gone in the start of the Nations League, that's reminding us again that, yes, England are great. The Lionesses are amazing. Serena's done a great job, but we can't ignore the teams that are further down than us in the rankings. I think to an extent, yeah. I mean, the Scotland game was a huge wake-up call, especially England weren't particularly great then um, and very nearly could have been punished for that. Um, usually I, I would say England have been pretty consistent in, in getting those results against those kind of teams. But I mean, Australia were the first team to do a number on us. There are a number of teams at, at the World Cup that that caused England a lot of problems. I mean, that Haiti game is the one that probably stands out as, as one that very literally could have gone a different way. So um, I think for sure, but I mean, it, it's just the continued growth of, of the women's game. You do have these dominant nations that, that we've become accustomed to, but that very, not, not just England, that changed a lot during the World Cup, obviously. Germany going out, Canada went out very early, the USA got knocked out very early as well. So it, it's not just England that are maybe feeling feeling that, it's, it's pretty much everyone. I mean, you mentioned the first goal and it being offside. Megan, um, Millie Bright's been very vocal, as she always is, which is one of the reasons we love her. But the lack of video assistant referee in the game last night, I mean, what was she, what were her gripes? Uh, it was just lack of incons or lack of consistency, really. You know, you had a whole World Cup where they implemented VAR and to a large extent it, it was a success. You know, people can moan and groan all they want about the small margins and, and the way that VAR sometimes goes and the whims of it. But ultimately, I felt with the World Cup, they made a lot of really good call calls. They were tight. You know, there were a few penalty shouts maybe here or there, but for the most part, they got it right. And, you know, there, there was a level in which it felt the women's game at, in the upper echelons, it was being treated with the respect of the men's, you know, they wouldn't let some sort of tournaments with, you know, that much jeopardy on the line sort of be dictated without the help of VAR. And now you've got you know, the nation's leagues, you know, it's, it's a big tournament. There's a lot on the line for these teams and, and you don't have VAR and it's like, well, hold up. We just got used to kind of having these things. And it also, you know, you don't want, the referees and the officiating for the women's game to continuously kind of hamper it. And that, that has been an issue in the women's game is that sometimes people have felt that the officiating isn't as, as great as it could be. And VAR can help in a lot of ways, you know, not put so much onus on the officiating, make sure that they, it, it's not that they've got it wrong. It's that, Hey, actually, can you look at this back? Cause mistakes happen. Um, and for that not to happen, it, it's, it's a shame. So that's what Millie was really sort of Frustrated with that was the, the probably the biggest source of her ire was that the the lack of consistency and sort of using VAR. You know they've they've got goal line technology sometimes and then they don't have goal line technology and 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 those they they make a huge they make a huge difference obviously. I mean yesterday's game, if that goal doesn't stand, maybe it sort of 
gets England going and then England get the goal that they really want and suddenly it's 1-0 and it's not 1-1 and you're not chasing something. So yeah, that that was her gripe. Georgia Stanway echoed her sentiments as well. You know, she said that it's a shame that everyone like watching from home on the television could see that it was offside and then, you know, back in the stadium, everyone's sort of thinking, well, what's going on? Why can't why can't we just, you know, rerun it on the television and see it? So I completely understand where she's coming from, but I think as the women's game grows, these are the things that need to be implemented. You also need to play in great stadiums. That's that's not like last night they played in a fantastic stadium, but I'm not sure if anyone saw Aslani's comments from Sweden after Sweden played Italy and she had a big moan on the Italy FA and said, I've seen more animals than people here because they made them plant we made them play in some stadium like far out in rural Italy. You're not going to have VAR technology out there. It's just not going to happen. So it's a it's a much larger conversation than just we need VAR at these games. We see it a lot with the women's game as it grows, but it's a shame that this is sort of another growing pain. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's part of a much wider conversation is we've seen with the playing and the running of clubs, it's got better. So hopefully that kind of professionalism will trickle down to, to the referees, to VAR and to the officiating. I mean, we know the WSL starts on, on Sunday, you know, we're back in league season. A lot of these players were back at their clubs and they've gone away on the international duty. Then we have another international break in a few weeks are we worried about, particularly with the Lionesses and a lot of Welsh players, Scottish players that play in the WSL, how tired physically and mentally that these players are going to be? I mean, Hannah, it has to be a concern for Serena and international managers. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge talking point before the game as well. And I think you could see that in the game as well. I mean, for a lot of the players, they, they just look knackered. Um, and you saw that as well with Alessia Russo having to be afforded more time off and not being able to play against Scotland and... And she did extremely well coming into this game. Obviously, she got the goal, but it, it is a concern. And I think that's kind of why as well, going straight into an international break where the games matter. I think normally if it was sort of friendlies and things like that, that's where you see your Jess Parks, your your Maya Letiziers and, and players like that. And Serena's then sort of got the capacity and, and the opportunity to rotate her squad a little bit more and and sort of bring new players in and fresh faces and give that starting lineup that pretty much played the entirety of the World Cup a bit of a break. I mean, they might be on camp, but obviously we know what 90 minutes of, of a football match can take out of you. And so absolutely, I, I think it is a concern and, and it's not like it's going to get any easier now because like you mentioned then, the WSL starts this weekend. We've got that. And then next month, there's another international break where there's two very important Nations League fixtures. So you're sort of looking at the calendar and, and you're thinking, when when do these players get a break? I, I can't remember which pundit it was pre-match, but they were talking about it and, and they've not got a summer off pretty much potentially until 2026 so who knows maybe if England aren't to make the Olympics it could actually be a little bit of a blessing in disguise when you're thinking about the Euros the year after and stuff like that because you know the the players they need a break and, and they need that time and and if they don't then you might see more performances like that where England just aren't at the races but again it's it's not just England obviously it's all the nations that are pretty much having to deal with the same thing but it is a growing problem I mean we spoke about VAR then and that being sort of a growing pain in the game the sheer number of fixtures and everything that Lechano introduces is certainly another one yeah I mean the women do have a, a Christmas break or a month off for Christmas but I think we all agree you know we have to be mindful of their emotional and physical health 
Talking of the Olympics, Hannah, obviously Wales, uh, one of the teams who could be part of Team GB in the Olympics. I know they played as played as well last night, Megan. If you just want to let us know how that game went for them. Not very good <laughs> from what I saw. Yeah, no, it was definitely not a game that um, most Welsh people or Welsh fans or even the Welsh team will look back on with. I don't think anyone really actually wants to look back on it in any capacity, really. Um, it was... It was a pain. It was really tough. Um, I think post-match, uh, Gemma Granger, the manager, she sort of said that it was a lot closer than I think the scoreline suggested. I'm not sure I'm going to give that argument a lot of credence. It was really poor for Wales, which is a big shame, really. It was always going to be tough for this team to to play in League A of the Nations League. It, I mean, this is a squad that has really had a lot of transition uh, a lot of change in the last two years since Gemma Granger's come in and taken over from Jane Ludlow. Under Ludlow, Wales were just a really difficult team to beat. They would sit in a low block. Defensively, they were always sound, but they didn't offer much going forward. And so Gemma Granger was supposed to come in and kind of, you know, like evolve that and kind of push them forward to the next level. And for a long spell, that did seem like this. that's what was happening. You know, you saw Wales nearly qualify for the World Cup. They went all the way to a playoff final and, and lost sort of at the, at the death, really. And I felt in that game, especially it was against Switzerland, for the first half hour, Wales actually looked better because they were playing on the front foot. And then once they got their opening goal, they sat back again and they almost went against what Gemma had been kind of like like implementing for the last couple couple months. And really since then, it has looked like Wales don't really have much of a plan. They've, they've lost kind of maybe a little bit of their identity in terms of defensive sort of solidity. Um, and you haven't seen a lot of transition also in players. You know, these are a lot of players that are still in there from from the past. You know, Kaylee Green is still playing up top. She's still starting. You still have Jess Fishlock, Sophie Ingoing, Iron James, who are still in the midfield. And those, I mean, that mil- midfield is great, but you want to start seeing younger players come in and trickle in. You know, you got your Fionn Morgans, Elise Hughes. You know, these are players that are playing week in, week out at their clubs. They're playing either WSL or championship and they're getting consistent minutes. They're getting goals and they're not coming into the fry until 75th minute, 80th minute. And that to me is a huge problem. If this team is going to evolve and not look like it's stagnating, they've got to bring in more players and really start to, to push that evolution at the next step. So hopefully Wills can do it. It was always going to be a tough ask to be in league A, but I think this is going to be one of those competitions where they're either going to have to really push themselves or there's going to be a lot of questions that need to be asked at the end. I mean, Megan, thinking ahead to Team GB and the Olympics, you're mentioning the young Welsh players that we should all be looking out for. Is it is that going to be, is the Olympics a great opportunity for some of those to be in a tournament, maybe play alongside players who play at a higher level sometimes? And who are the players that we should be, that Serena should be considering more importantly? Yeah, um, I think for sure you got Carrie Jones, who's just left Man United and she's gone to Bristol City and she's she's a really exciting player, really front-footed, um, confident. She's, she's got a lot about her and she's great. I think Gemma Evans is a big one. She's a defender who's just left Reading and gone to Man United. There was a lot of questions and doubts, I think, within Man United's fan base about whether or not she could make the step up. But I would say watch her play for Wales and you will see that she's quite literally the best player on the pitch. And that's not just because she's constantly called into action. She's got incredible sort of awareness, spatial awareness. She's good on the ball, but she's just one of those sort of battling defenders, um, very composed. I defend it that loves to defend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's um she she's impressive and she's very young and she's very hungry too. And she I spoke to her earlier this year and she was very keen to to push herself to the next level when I asked her, you know, her her contract was expiring with Reading. 
where did she see herself? And she didn't, she immediately said, I'm not in it for a relegation battle. You know, like I'm, I'm here to play at the top of the league. And, and that's huge for a player to have that kind of confidence and say it out loud. So I think for me, those two players particularly are really exciting. Hannah Kane's another one, but I think that those three players hopefully can have a really big season in the WSL and, and you know, maybe tell Serena Vigman like, hey, choose me. And Hannah Kane is someone that Hannah knows well. Um, you did an interview with her recently and she was very, very positive about the season ahead. Yeah, I mean, she, I think she was very bullish in her responses and, and it was sort of that standout line of you're going to see a completely new Leicester team this year and, and I really hope they sort of do. Obviously, they had a positive end to the season at the very least, but if they can kick on, that would be massive. And, and Hannah Kane will be a big part of that for Leicester, I think. You know, she's recently signed a new contract with the club, which shows that she's fully behind what they're trying to do as well. But And it, and it will be a big season because... You know, she suffered that ACL injury in, in Leicester's first season in the WSL. So really missed a large chunk of that year. And then obviously half of last season as well. And and it her return to sort of full fitness sort of coincided with, with Leicester actually being a lot better. So um, absolutely, I, I think she'll have a huge part to play for Leicester this year. I mean, WSL, that's where we have to go next. Um, Sundays... <laughs> It's come around a lot quicker than I think we all anticipated. And there's some very, very big games on Sunday. I mean, what games are you looking out for? What players are you looking forward to seeing? Because there's a lot of new players in the league this campaign. Megan, if we come to you first. I'm personally excited for um, the the Chelsea Spurs match. Um, I think that one will be really good. You've got the reigning champions going up against Spurs who really did, I mean, just scrape it at the, at the end of the season. And I think this is going to be a good litmus test for Spurs. They've, they're now, they don't have Bethany England, which is going to be like such a shame and, and a huge blow for them, really. You think about it. She came in second half of the season, changed Spurs, pretty much saved them. And she won, you know, their, their, their player of the season, all this different stuff. And now she's out. And Spurs kind of have to go back to that sort of pre-no Beth England era and be like, right, how do we do this? But uh, I'm excited to see what they can offer. I'm excited to see it. I'm also just excited to see what what Emma Hayes can do with Chelsea. I mean, this, she's going for another season of, of Chelsea dominance. I think that'll be kind of fun to see how they, they get off. I, I, you know, they didn't get off to a great start last season and they still managed to do what they did. So whether or not you'll see them wobble, whether or not they'll come out with a bang, I, I think that one's quite exciting. It's at Stanford Bridge. So yeah, I'm for me personally, like that's the one that I'm really excited for. And a London Derby, you can't really get much better than that. No, you can't. Um, um, I'll be at Arsenal, um, Liverpool at the Emirates, which I'm very excited about, which is 46,000 fans, I think, have already bought tickets. So it will be another amazing day. Obviously, Chelsea play at Stamford Bridge. We have Villa playing at Villa Park. Hannah, do you think this is... I think for a long while we've been waiting for the clubs to catch up with how passionate the women's football fans are. Do you think the number of games that we're seeing played in the so-called men's stadiums is an example of how much the, the game is growing, not just, you know, on a five yearly basis, but on season per season. Yeah. I mean, in general, it's a bit of a bizarre one because you talk about playing in, in sort of the men's grounds where you've got Leicester that play at the King Power every week. Bristol City will be playing at Ashton Gate 
pretty much every match day provider's schedules allow it. But in general, yeah, I mean, I, I for one, am, am really excited. I think it's more that the top teams need to do it a bit more. It, it kind of does baffle me a little bit that, you know, if, if teams in the championship can do it and if teams at the lower end of the WSL can do it, why can't your Arsenal's, your Liverpool's, your Chelsea's do it? I mean, I know there's the argument of sort of packing out King's Meadow and Meadow Park and grounds like that. They can have a really fantastic atmosphere when you go there. I think there's a few players that have said King's Meadow is is their favourite place to go because of the atmosphere. So I don't know if it is a case of, of sort of picking the moments a little bit more, um, but I'm I'm really excited to be at Villa Park, especially on Sunday, because um, I, I can't remember the exact record attendance at a Villa game. It's been growing, but I think it's sort of always been around the five sort of thousand mark. Um, but they've already sold eleven thousand tickets, which I think is really exciting. And and I'm not sure how many of those will be Man United fans. Obviously, we know they have a <laughs> have a very good following both home and away. Um, but I mean, that'll be a cracking atmosphere at Villa Park. Obviously, Villa have played there a few times. They played their opening game against Manchester City there last season and, and won. Um, so hopefully they can <laughs> replicate that this Sunday against a different Manchester team. Um, but they've opened up the whole end as well, um, which I'm pretty sure is the first time um, they've done that for a Villa game at Villa Park. So it, it is really exciting. And and I, we just want to see it a little bit more, I think. And um they play more games there. Obviously, Arsenal, I think, are very good at choosing their moments with it. Obviously, the Champions League games and and the big WSL games that do sort of tend to attract those bigger audiences. But it is great and it's a fantastic experience for the players as well to sort of play in that kind of atmosphere and, and experience that as well. And a lot of the time it's easy for the fans to get to as well when you talk about some of the smaller grounds being so far away obviously think about Liverpool playing at Prenton Park it's it's the other side of the river and stuff like that so it's a lot more difficult for, for fans to get to whereas they're used to going to the Premier League and the men's grounds every every week so um, if anything that, that should as well encourage more people to go yeah, I think we'll see throughout the season. I know um, Liverpool and Everton will be playing at Anfield. And last I heard, they were looking to open another stand. Obviously, we expect both Manchester clubs to play at, at their home stadiums as well. I think it's it's a really positive move. Like you say, it's a lot easier for someone to get to the main Manchester United Stadium than Lee Sports Village. So I can understand that. Thinking ahead as well. Other games we've got that day, we've got our newcomers, Bristol City v Leicester, West Ham v Manchester City and Everton v Brighton. Hannah, I know you know Leicester very well and Bristol. Do you think that's a somewhat easy first game for Bristol on the, on their first day in the WSL? Um, I think it's... I wouldn't necessarily use the word easy. I think I think it's just a very interesting game and a huge opportunity for at least one of those teams to potentially lay down a marker. I mean, when you think about Leicester's starts to the season, I mean, last year they had to wait until January <laughs> to to get their first points of the season. So I think for both of those teams, especially Bristol being newly promoted as well, I think with maybe Liverpool last year being the exception, the newly promoted teams do tend to struggle and, and ultimately those are the two teams not affiliated with the Premier League club although it is weird because I still kind of see Leicester as a Premier League club rather than a championship one regardless of, of where they're playing at the moment but those are the two teams that aren't affiliated with those Premier League clubs and maybe a little bit unfairly people are already sort of looking at those kind of teams as the ones that might struggle or, or might be in and around 
the bottom of the table this season. So it is a huge opportunity, I think, that game for at least one of those teams to potentially lay down a real marker and, and say, no, we're here to compete and actually really get off to a positive start, which, I mean, if Leicester are able to do that, especially, I, th- I think that could be massive going into the first few weeks of the season, given, you know, they had to wait so long for any points last season. Megan, I know you spent some time in Bristol a couple of weeks ago um, and you were speaking to Abby Harrison. They don't seem like they're just coming to the WSL to make up the numbers, do they? No, I don't think any team that comes up from the championship in the, in the fashion that they do um, would, would ever want to just be like, yeah, we're just here to have some fun, guys, and we'll go back down. But Bristol City especially, you know, this is them kind of a, they don't want to call it a redemption season in any sort of capacity. But I mean, this is a very quick turnaround for them from a season in which they were relegated and it was just a really torrid season. And then you've got the the sort of the, the revamp that Lauren Smith has done and that cannot be understated what she has accomplished at this club. I mean, she really gutted the team, brought in youth, trusted players that had never really been trusted before. And that this is the result that you could have get. They could have gotten promoted the season before and you've got Liverpool though, that really made it difficult for them. And Liverpool ended up getting promoted at, Bristol City Stadium and it was just it was an exciting thrilling campaign for them and then the next season Bristol get promoted so they're bullish they're excited Abby Harrison especially is a a really exciting player it's um it's kind of crazy to think she's only 20 25 now like you talk to her and she feels as if she's been around for ages she's got sort of the mindset of a a 31 year old veteran but she's a fantastic player you give her a chance she's gonna score it and that's going to be Bristol City's biggest sort of edge, I think. I've talking, I've talked to Lauren Smith and I've talked to Abby about it. They don't care how they win. And I think that that is going to be a real positive for them. You know, people can say all they want. I want to play aesthetic. I want to play a certain way. And while they they do have a style that they want to try to, to implement, they also need to be pragmatic and they're aware of that. And I think that's really going to help them this season. So personally for me, I anyone who rides off Bristol City, I, I think they're going to really find themselves kind of wrong by the end of the season I, I really think that Bristol have a have a huge chance of of being completely safe of being fine they've got a lot of exciting talent and Lauren Smith said it herself she wants Bristol City to be the kind of club that players who feel they aren't getting their chances go to and can sort of make a name for themselves and I think if you've got that mentality coursing through your club you you're gonna do well in the season so yeah I, I'm really excited for the Bristol City Luster game. I mean, other than Abby, who else should be, if, if you're new to Bristol City, who should you be looking out for on their team and their squad? Who's the ones to watch? Well, Carrie Jones has just come back, come from Manchester United. They just grabbed her, which is a huge, huge coup for Bristol City. I think Abby Harrison and Carrie Jones are going to be really, really exciting. Beyond Morgan plays for Wales and she is genuinely one of the most, I mean, probably the fastest player I've ever seen. If I don't think anyone wants to get into a foot race with Fionn Morgan. And, and, and she's... She, She's good. Like she's, she's, she'll harry you. She'll press you. So you're going to have a lot of defenders who are thinking like, what the heck is this, this, this girl? Like she's, she's all over me and stuff, but that's going to be really exciting. Tiana Tessier is another really exciting youngster coming through and, and Brooke Aspen. So Chelsea grabbed Brooke during the summer and then they loaned her back out to Bristol city. She's an England youth international, really, really good defender. Um, and, and yeah, I think she's going to be a huge asset for them as well. So there's a lot of players. I, I highly suggest anyone who doesn't know the Bristol city squad, go through their squad list and you're going to recognize a few names. There's a lot of young, exciting talent in there. And, you know, I don't think it's, it's any sort of surprise that if you go back also like kind of through their veteran list and who's come through the club, there are a lot of very recognizable names in there. 
I mean, we've also got Everton uh, v Brighton. I kind of feel like Everton and Aston Villa are just the best of the rest, if you want to say that. Do we look at Brian Sorensen's team? And I mean, they've lost Gabby George, a huge loss for them. How are they going to recover from that this season? Um, Sorry. Sorry, I, I, I think it'll be a really interesting season for Everton in general. Obviously, they're kind of the team that have most consistently, I think, finished best of the rest and sort of in that top six at the very least over the last few years. And I, I do think Everton had a, had a very solid campaign last year, but it has been a little bit of an interesting summer um, in terms of the players that they brought in, but more so the players that they've lost. Obviously, I, I don't think anyone at Everton was really necessarily expecting to lose Gabby George. I, I don't doubt that Brian Sorensen had pretty much been preparing all summer you know, with Gabby George in the team. She was at the WSL Media Day at the start of that week pretty much so that very much suggests that they they were expecting to start the season with with Gary George and then obviously United come in at the very last minute and and, and get that over the line on, on deadline day so I, th- I think that will be a, a huge blow for Everton as well and, and they've had a little bit of a not an overhaul as such but a few other players that, that have moved on so it'll be interesting to see whether or not that that does impact them. But I mean, you do have to look at that Gabby George shaped hole in the squad, not least as well, because they had no time to re- pretty much recruit a replacement or a very good replacement at least. So um, in, in in terms of the best of the rest, I, I would probably say Villa edging that. I mean, they edged Everton in the table last year, but just in terms of consistently building and, and what Villa are doing, I, you know, I would be probably more inclined to say that that Villa would be top of that list in terms of, of potentially closing in on the top four, um, largely due to the fact that they haven't lost any major players. They've, they've pretty much kept their entire squad together, um, barring losing Hannah Hampton. She was the only first team player really that that left the Villa squad and they replaced her with the Netherlands number one. And then, then they've just added quality in other areas with Ebony Salmon, Lucy Parker, Adriana Leon coming in and, and players like that. So whereas Everton have sort of lost a few big names, Villa have very much kept that together. So so that for me is why they would edge it. But um, the, the, uh, there is other teams that I think could be knocking on the door as well. Um, maybe I'm biased, but I'd like to think Liverpool would be one. I think they've had a good summer as well. So that, that's what we want to see though. We want to see teams pushing up the WSL and, and asking the questions of the top four because it, it makes it a better product and it makes it more interesting. I think um, that brings us on to our last game perfectly. West Ham and Man City, again, two teams who would possibly have been disappointed with their seasons um, and where they ended up. Megan, do you think this could be a pivotal season for Man City, for Gareth Taylor? You know, they've not been at the standards that we've been used to them setting, but everyone around them is progressing. So do they really have to step it up this campaign? Yeah, I think so. I think Hannah makes a good point. I think Villa are there to crash the party up at the top. And I think City would be one of them that they think, right, we can, those are the kind of the first ones that maybe we can stick our talons into. And even last season, I think it was midway through West Ham, we're only about four or five points off City going into the gen, going into January. And and then West Ham really tapered off and fell down and had, had an awful end of this, awful end of those, the second half of the season. But yeah, for, for me, this is a really big season for Gareth Taylor. He's only had a year extension on his contract so clearly Man City have kind of given him 
this is like his big test. It's like, if you can do it, great. If not, we're getting rid of you. We're going to move on. And I think that's totally fair. You know, they've only brought in Jill Roar, the, this transfer window. And I think that's testament also to how Gareth Taylor sees his squad. A lot of players in that Man City squad were sort of big names at the Summer's World Cup. He's got talent in there. So I'm very curious to see how he can he can sort of evolve and, and move forward. I think last season towards the end, as things began to click, they did start to show what they're capable of. But yeah, for me, this is a huge season for them. They need to really push forward. I think Chloe Kelly needs to have a really big season. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do. I'm personally very, very worried for West Ham. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll sort of see what can happen there. But I think if there's any team that I would say needs to really look over their shoulder at that relegation zone, it's West Ham. They, they look very, um, very nervy. Okay, one final question. Who is the one player new to the WSL that everyone should be looking out for? Hannah, if you give us your advice. For me, um, again, Liverpool bias, uh, Sophie Roman Hogue. I mean, probably not a great choice given that I think she might have broken her nose in Norway's game last night against Portugal. So I hope that's not an injury that keeps her out. I know Liverpool had Katie Stengel before and, and she was a fantastic goal scorer, but I just think Sophie has so much promise and, and, you know, Liverpool are willing to break their club record fee to, to bring her in. So I think with, not just the depth, but the quality as well that she adds to Liverpool's forward line. I, I really hope we can see Liverpool score lots of goals this season. And she was a standout performer in a pretty abysmal Norway campaign at the World Cup. So um, she was the one shining light for them. And, and I fully expect her, provided the injury is not serious as you can get on the pitch quite soon, um, for her to have a, a very good campaign for Liverpool and hopefully be the reason why they can hopefully challenge for at least a, a top half finish. Megan? Oh, um, I, I, to be honest, like that was mine as well. Like, exactly. like yeah, she she was kind of for me like the the most exciting exciting player. So um, no, I'm just excited. There's a, there's a whole list of them. So I, I think trying to nitpick anyone is is way too difficult. And I think it'll just be cool to see maybe if there's any sort of bumps in the road of, of players attempting to to get used to the WSL standard, or if they'll just sort of smooth and 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 sort of glide right in. So no, it'll be really exciting this season. That's brilliant. Perfect end to, the, to our session. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Megan. You can find us on all your normal socials at Our Women's Football, and we'll see you again next week. 